2 Timothy 4, just go ahead and buckle up. If you are doing so, if you've already talked to me about doing something Saturday, can I meet with you a little right after this? Well, not after, after we come out of small groups. If I don't preach that long, I'm gonna try not to. But so I want to meet with you after because I know there's a couple that said they're gonna sing or do a speaking part or something like that. So get with me afterwards. That would be awesome. So hopefully you're in Second Timothy chapter number four. And sad to say for me. This is our last lesson in Second Timothy. I could have drug it out for like five weeks, but I figured we'd go ahead. I didn't want to talk about the spiritual significance of bring my cloak for two weeks. So we're gonna we're gonna just go ahead and skip. We're gonna move through those spots. But in Second Timothy chapter four, we're gonna go ahead and finish the last couple of verses here in Second Timothy chapter four. So just to uh, make it feel like I've accomplished something, let's go ahead and ask a few questions. Who was from last week? No, the week before last. My brother preached last week. If you remember all that, you're good. He's kind of talking really fast. But if on, if you remember two weeks ago, there was a young man that was profitable for ministry. He was not profitable before. Who is it? Mark. Yes, John Mark. Yes. Who is the young man who has loved this present world? Josh. Not Barabbas. I'm sure he did love this present world too, but... Demas, yes, Demas. Who was Demas related to that Paul traveled with? Barnabas. Yes, man, you guys are, we're, we're getting somewhere. Alright, let me ask you the hard one I ask you every time. Who are the two people that spread false doctrine in the church? Annie. Yes, I mean, y'all make it sound easier and easier. I mean, it's in the What was the false doctrine they're spreading? I think last time Riley answered this. There's no resurrection, yes. No resurrection. Let's go one more, one more. I should stop. We're going to go one more. There's three things in Second Timothy, chapter number 2, Paul says that Timothy's supposed to be like. He says in verse number 1, he says you need to be this. He says in 15, you need to be this. What is it? No. Kelsey. Yes, a farmer, an athlete, and there's one more thing. What is it, Kim? That's an athlete. (laughs) He's supposed to be strong. A soldier, yes, a soldier, a farmer, and an athlete. So good. So, 2 Timothy chapter 4, let's read verse number 13. Let's transition to verse number 13. And this is the verse that I said we could spend a couple weeks in, but I'm not going to. The cloak that I left at Troas, verse 13, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee. And the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou where also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Now I was saying that the Lord stood with me. And strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute Pris- Prissa, which is Priscilla and Aquila, and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Do thy diligence to come before winter. 
Eubulus, greet thee, and Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Lord, we love you. We do thank you for the study in 2 Timothy. God, I thank you for what it's done in my life personally, Lord, as we study through and we look at the man Timothy and the man Paul and their lives. God, as we finish it up today and we just look at Paul as a regular, real human being, God, I ask you to please help these truths, Lord, to apply to our lives, and Lord, we take it away better. Help me to say only what you'd have me to say, and we'll thank you for all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we go through, we go through, we did Paul's last words two weeks ago, I mean three weeks ago, and then we talked about Demas and John Mark last week. And so now, this is pretty much the closing of Paul's letter. And to be perfectly honest, like this is where you see that Paul is a real, regular life guy. Like sometimes we do have, like we were talking about, uh, I think last time we were together, about how sometimes we get people in our minds larger than life, and there are these super, like, great people that no one ever can attain to. And here we find, in verse 13 to 22, we find out Paul is a regular person that deals with things in real life. And I will tell you this, if you can master the three things that Paul has at the end of his life as a young person, if you can get these three things down... I guarantee you, you'll be far ahead of most people. Because Paul just is a regular life. We find out now, Paul is sitting there and he says in verse 13, bring my coat, it's cold. He tells Timothy later on, hey, winter is coming. And I would know that if I was writing a letter to Florida after I came up here and somebody was coming up and I had forgotten a coat, I would say, bring me a coat, buy me another one up on the way, because it's cold. So Paul's a regular human being. He says, I'm cold. And I want something to read, so could you bring me the parchments? And he goes on in verse number 14, and he goes on, and this is where we start to see Paul's real life humanity. Verse number 14 says, I mean, I'm in 2 Thessalonians. Oh, there we go, 2 Timothy 4. He says, I'm in Thessalonians, man. All right, there we go, I'm back. We're just going to start a whole new study right there. Verse number uh, 14, Alexander the Coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Number one. How does, Paul, how does Paul respond to real life struggles? Number one, there will always be adversaries. There will always be adversaries. Paul's adversary in verse number 14 is Alexander the coppersmith. Paul's adversary in Acts, I mean in, in verse 14 is Alexander the coppersmith. You can go right down in your blank, I believe it's Acts 19.33 and 1 Timothy 1.20. So Paul talks about Alexander Coppersmith. If you read the book of Acts, there's a man in the book of Acts named Demetrius. Now, I won't probably review 2 Timothy ever again for a little while, but Demetrius is a silversmith in Acts chapter 19. And if you know the story, Paul is preaching the gospel, just witnessing to people. Demetrius finds out about it, and Demetrius is a silversmith, and he specializes in making false gods, especially Diana. And so Paul's going through the country telling people about Jesus Christ, and the Bible says that people are getting saved, so much so that their business is being hurt. The idol-worshipping business, the, the making of the false gods, is being hurt. And Demetrius comes to Paul and starts a huge scene in the middle of the, in the, middle of the court, in the, in the courtyard. He's like, hey! He starts to get people together. These guys right here they're killing our business. We're, we can't make any money because they're trying to tell them that uh, Diana is not a true God and people are going to stop buying 
are false idols, and they make a huge deal in front of everybody. In fact, so much so that you find Alexander, he's a coppersmith, he comes into the picture, and others, and they make such a big deal. The Bible says they all gather around Paul, and the Christians are trying to pull Paul out. Because these people are going crazy about how much Paul has influenced their money. And so much so that they, for two hours, Demetrius starts a chant. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. For two hours, the Bible says, that it said there was confusion. People didn't even know why they were chanting it. So everybody just around chanting, great is the Diana of the Ephesians, great is the Diana, and more people come around and they start chanting for two hours until the whole, the, pretty much the mayor of the whole council comes out and says, hey, what are you guys doing? You don't even know what's going on. And we don't know if there's other cases, but Alexander the coppersmith has pretty much been against Paul. The funny thing is, Paul has done nothing recording the scripture to Alexander the coppersmith. He has not gone out and knew his faith. He did not come and say, hey, Alexander, you are wrong for making these idols. He doesn't do any of that. But the Bible says that Alexander the Congress has done Paul much evil. First lesson you're going to learn in life. I mean, that if you learn this lesson that Paul learned, is that there are adversaries. If we're not careful, you can get pretty discouraged trying to be a Christian. If you really stop and think, if you want to turn on the news, it can get really discouraging when you start looking at all the things happening in the world. Homosexuality is a big thing right now. You know what? If you watch the news long enough, you watch television long enough, you can get burning up angry. Not at homosexuals.com, but just at the, the bias... Homosexuality, the basketball player, I can't even think of his name, that came out of the closet, so to speak. And they were talking about how he's a hero. And you can listen to this and you can look at these things and say, wow, what in the world? You can have a Christian athlete who just wants to serve God and they're demonized. Not because they're going out. It's not like they're standing up on any pulpit and every time somebody sticks a mic in their face and it's like, I just want to tell you, Jesus is the way to heaven, amen. They're not doing that. They're just trying to live a good, godly life. And they're penalized for it. The same thing happens with us. To be a teenager today... And to try to behave in a godly manner, there will be adults that will look at you in a day that you would think they would say, Wow, there's a sharp young person. You know what they say? Wow, that kid's missing out. That young person's not getting all the... Man, they just go out, go out and try things. The first thing that we see in Paul, what we see is real, regular, right. Paul doesn't complain a lot. He doesn't say anything really bad. But now he's saying, hey, Timothy, I just want to let you know. I want you to bring my coat. I want you to bring the parchments. And Alexander the coppersmith, he has done me much evil. And you look at it, and Paul never did anything to him. It's just the adversary of trying to stand up and do what is right. Can I tell you that one day, well, probably not one day, right now, if you live godly, the Bible still says, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And I know sometimes we think of persecution as being hung up and tied up and all kinds of crazy things done to you, but it's simply as it's going to cost you something to live a Christian life. And Jesus talks about that. And he says, hey, if a person is going to build a building, they count the cost of how much it's going to cost. If they're going to live a life, they're going to and God tells us to count the cost. So first thing Paul says is there are adversaries. He goes on. The adversary is Alexander Coppersmith. But you look at Paul's attitude. 
In verse number 14. The Lord reward him according to his works. Paul's attitude is, don't worry, the Lord will take care of it. Don't worry, the Lord will take care of it. Here's the second part of the thing you have to learn. Now that you have to learn that there are adversaries, you have to learn that number two, God did not put you on this earth to fight them. God did not put you on earth to get back at those people that would go against him. See, Paul says, Alexander, the coppersmith, he didn't do much evil. And it doesn't, you don't read the next verse and I, Paul, in the name of Jesus, punched him in the face. You find out he says, hey, the Lord, he'll take care of it. Just like I said, you can turn on the television right now and turn on whatever news channel you want. And you can see things that will just be like, what in the world is our world coming to? And you can get all discouraged and all bent out of shape. But Paul says, hey, let the Lord take care of that. Let the Lord take care of that. Now, I'm not saying we don't use our constitutional rights to stand up for what is right. But I'm saying our whole mentality sometimes is we get angry. Hey, they're going to take our guns. Buy bigger guns. Hey, they're going to do this. Go do this. And we always want to respond to the extreme. And I'm not, just like I said, I'm not saying that if we have the right to do it, I'm not saying to take those, but I'm saying, Paul's saying, I've learned that there are adversaries. But you know what? If Paul had to fight a battle with every person that was against him, he would never have time to do anything else. Hey, they don't like me over in Lystra. They tried to stone me. So I'm going to go over there and take care of them for trying to stone me. Oh man, these people on this island, they did this to me. He's like, hey, the Lord's going to take care of it. The Lord will take care of you. Take care of the situation. So he says, Number one, don't worry, the Lord will take care of it. But he does do this. Number two, he warns others to be aware of the adversary. He tells Timothy, The Lord will warn him according to his works, of whom thou be aware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. So warn others to be aware of the adversary. This is one of the problems, I think, that we have. For, for years... We as Christians have looked at the adversaries and we've decided to fight the battles ourselves. Say, I told you about the guy, Jake Frank Norris. I don't know if it's true or not or just legend, but he was in somebody, somebody was in his office and they got to argue and he pulled out a gun and shot him. He was a pastor of a big, a rather large independent fundamental Baptist church. I don't, I don't understand why he shot him. I don't know all the story. I don't even know if it's even true, but I know that it's the legend that goes through the Jake Frank Norris, the great, the great preacher. <laughs> but I see our goal a lot of times is that, hey, we're going to shut down the adversary. We're going to take him out. Paul says, don't worry about it. And second thing, he says, Timothy, I just want you to be aware of it. Hey, he's withstood our words. He's got problems. I want you to make it known. Here's where we are as a young person. I remember when I went to college. I remember hearing people, and they didn't, probably didn't do it in the correct way, but they would mark people, so to speak, that were going the wrong direction. So I remember hearing names of a pastor, that I, maybe a TV evangelist or something. Even now, we'll just throw Joel Osteen out there just for the fun of it. But as you go to the car, hey, don't listen to Joel Osteen, mark that guy. He's a heretic, he's a blah, 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 blah. And so you mind that. And so you go through and thinking that, you know what? The curiosity starts to build up. It's like, 
you know, I really would like to know why does everyone not like this person so much? And there's men, I'm not, it's not dosing, but there are men that I thought, well, why don't people like them so much? And so I started to listen. Oh, well, see, he's, he sounds like a pretty good guy to me. He sounds like a pretty, he's going pretty good to me. And the next thing you know, you're pulled in. And see what Paul's saying is, say, hey, I want you to know, I was in a conference with he's done me much evil. But I'm not worried about that. God's going to take care of that. But Timothy, I want you to be aware. I want you to mark him because he'll cause you problems. Can I tell you, young people, in your lives, God has put people to mark the evil? Hey, your parents, you probably shouldn't hang out with that person. They may not be the best for you. Well, if you only knew him like I did, Mom, if you only knew him like I did, and these are lessons that Paul is saying that if we can learn now, it'll help us way through our whole life. That, hey, Paul says, I'm going to tell you, Timothy, Alexander Cogger Smith, he's not a good guy. He's withstood me, he's withstood our words. I want you to mark him, I want you to be aware of him. Are you willing to take the advice that people give you. Well, they just, they just don't know. They just don't have all the information. Well, if they only knew what I... Paul says, hey, Timothy, I want you to know, I just want you to be aware that he's going to cause problems and mark him. So, first of all, the first thing Timothy says, I think Paul tells Timothy, is there will always be adversaries. Number two, there will be some who will abandon you. Verse 16, Paul says, at my first answer, which was at his first trial, when he went out, um, we don't know if it's the stand before me or whatnot, but at one of his first trials, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. So, number one, people will forsake you. People will forsake you. There will be some who abandon you. So, Paul says, I'm learning that, I mean, I'm telling you, Timothy, that there are adversaries. And number two, I'm telling you that you can not always depend on other people. Now, I would love to tell you that you could depend on Aaron Burden. I really would. I would love to tell you that whatever you had going on, Aaron Burden would be there for you. I would love to say the same thing to my kids. And I'd try to be. But you know what? I will fail you and probably fail you multiple, multiple times. Paul tells Timothy, hey, when it came down to it, I had all these followers. You read at the end of all these people that were with Paul. And when Paul goes to stand before Nero for the judge, the Bible says, Paul said, no man stood with me. In fact, every man forsook me. Hey, Timothy, the second thing is, you can't always depend... Some people, some of you guys will think, yeah, I know that because my friend at school, my friend at this, and I had this friend for years and they turned their back on me, or whatever. But it's a truth that we do have to learn. And we're going to get to number three, and I, I want to get there because I don't want to be all negative. But you can't. You look at Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the greatest man to ever have walked the earth. The disciples have seen him raise people from the dead. They saw when the troops came to get him. And they said, hey, we're looking for Jesus. And Jesus said, I am he. And they fall backwards. They see Peter put out a sword. Cut off Malchus's ear. Jesus Christ picks it up. Puts it back on his head. 
They watched Jesus still the storm, walk on water, raise the dead. And it came time for Jesus to be taken away. Peter, <laughs> Jesus, all the rest of these guys, they may forsake you, but I never will. I, I never will. To the end, Jesus. The Bible says, when they grabbed him, disciples, like cockroaches when you turn a light on. They're gone. Can I tell you that if Jesus Christ had people turn on him, people forsake him in the midst of his times of trouble, it's a lesson that we have to learn that we cannot always rely on other people. But we go on. He goes on, and our response to them is, I love Paul's response. And the Lord shall, I mean, uh, verse number 17, now I was saying, the, I mean, verse 16, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray that God, I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. You must be willing to forgive. You must be willing to forgive. Paul says, hey, Everybody for something. Can you imagine going to probably one of the things? This is Paul could. Did I miss a blank? Oh, the example is Jesus. Sorry. Actually, I just told that long story about Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you must be willing to forgive. Paul, Paul, in one of his crucial moments in life, he's going to stand for a life and death situation, and everyone forsakes him. You know, it's one thing. When people you don't know do you wrong, do whatever. But it's really bad when people you put, like dear, dear to you, do you wrong, forsake you. And Paul says, I pray that that be not, that God would not hold them accountable for that. That God would not reckon, is the word that count there, that God would not reckon that he would not make them responsible for that. Paul's like, hey, everybody forsook me. And you know what our response would be? Hey, they're not real friends. Because they would have they been there with me. You were supposed to be my boys. You were supposed to be here. And you're not. Paul says, hey, it's okay. I understand. It was a hard time. I forgive you. He goes on. Verse number three. I mean, number three. So we got to come through two. And two comes right in number three. He says, no, go write this down. God will provide the ability. God will provide the ability. How do I make it through? If there's going to be adversaries... If I can't rely on other people because they may abandon me, number three, God will provide the ability. And if you read this in verse 17 and 18, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So God provides the ability. If you read this passage, you can almost get the feeling, like sometimes we do in Christianity sometimes, of this ethereal thing that you can't really reach, you can't really touch. Well, Paul, there are adversaries. And Paul, you know what? Everyone may not stand. Some of the people may forsake you. But God is with you, Paul. But God is with you. You know, sometimes we do say it like it's some kind of, I don't know, like it's just like we don't know what else to say. Well, God is with you. But if you read through Paul's life, and you read through, as he's closing it out, he's as serious as anything. He's like, this is how I can get through these things. 
This is how when everybody forsakes me, I can still stand up and do this right. This is the same way that you, as a young person, can live a life that if you had no friends, I understand we put a big value on friendship. We put a big value on social networking, all these things. But you can, as a Christian, never have another friend that loves you in your life and make it for God and do it as right. And Paul says, because this, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. Three things that Paul says. Number one, the Lord stood with me. God's presence. The Lord stood with me. Number two, the Lord strengthened me. And that's God's power. And the Lord saved me. He delivered me. God preserves. So he says, the Lord stood with me. Can I throw this out to you and we'll be done in just two seconds. As you get to know God. See, even to, a, to an unsafe person, if I try to explain how good God is to an unsafe person. I tried it. We tried it. When you go to New York or whatever. You have somebody tell you, well, God's not real. And you can, you can try to be blue in the face to explain to somebody how real God is in your life. Well, God's real because I had a prayer request and he was like, well, that just could have happened. Well, God is real because I can tell you because the creator, well, scientists say, and they can tell you everything in the world, but until they get to know God, the way you know them, all of a sudden it, it opens up. Hey, whoa. When I got saved, I really do start to see things that God does for me. God begins to be real with me. But as I grow in my Christian life, I start to find out that God is even more real to me now than he ever was. Back when I first got saved. When I first got saved, I was what? Seven seven years old when I got saved. And I look back and I would have told you at seven years old, God is so good. He's so good to me. You know what he really was. But can I tell you something now that I'm, I was about to say 29 years old. Now that I'm 30, I've known that, hey, God is so much more real to me now. And this is what I want you to see real quick as we look at, we close up Paul's life. As we look at Paul, all the things he's gone through. Paul, how did you make it through all those? Well, God gave me the ability. And looking at it, not knowing God that well, and not having a relationship, a close relationship with God, you would say, oh, that's nice, Paul. How did you really get through it? No, no, really. God gave me the ability. He says, God stood with me. And I believe that Paul, in the relationship we have with God, when everybody forsakes him, he's going before his trial, this is his life on the line, and everybody's gone, Paul can stand up there with confidence. God's with me. God's with me. He has this situation all under control. That's why I can be shipwrecked. That's why I can be beaten. That's why I get all those things, because God's with me. It's not some, ooh, God's with him. Oh, yeah, he read his devotion this morning, so God's with him. No, it's because he has a relationship with God. He knows who God is and what God is in his life. He has established a connection, a relationship with God. And he can say, how'd you make it, Paul? Well, God stood with me. So when everybody else left, I'm okay. God, would you please forgive them? But thanks for being here. Almost like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. Like, everything's going, hey, you're not going to bow down. We're going to throw you in the fire, in the flames. Everybody's getting burned up. 
as they're trying to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the flames. They're dying trying to throw them in. Can you imagine what it would be like to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? As you're standing, you're trying to do it right for God. And you get thrown into the fire first, not knowing it's going to happen. Not knowing that you could be instantly just fried. And then get up. The, the ropes burn off. And like Nebuchadnezzar says, Didn't did, did we throw three men there? I see a force. And the force looks like the Son of God. Can you imagine being shattered with shattered and Abednego, getting thrown in the fire first, and getting up, and the Lord God Almighty is standing with you? Hey guys, you did a good job. Way to do it. This is what Paul, I believe Paul saw when he did. Hey, everybody forsook me, but the Lord stood with me. Hey, he empowered me. He was my strength. You know, I didn't feel like it. I couldn't make it. I couldn't be shit right before the law against the one But the Lord was my strength because not because it's some kind of like, ooh, some spiritual thing. It's because it's really true. God strengthened the apostle Paul to be able to make it through all these situations and he would do the same for us. And not only that, he says, God's preserved me. Hey, he'll keep me safe from the troubles. He'll preserve me from every evil work. And if anybody knew that, Paul would. Get bit by a snake. Shake it off in the fire. Oh, don't worry about that, guys. Get stoned to death. Get beaten. Hey, Silas, you want to sing a song? Hey, it's okay. man. God's preserving me. He's going to keep me from every evil work. We're, we're good. And this encapsulates Paul's whole life. This is it, hey, really, God's real to me. And Timothy, I've made it through all these things. The lessons that I've learned because God, He's real and He's with me. He's empowering me. He's strengthening me and making me be what I can be for Him. He goes through at the end of the letter. I'm not going to read it again for time's sake, but He goes through and starts telling, like, say hello to Priscilla and Quillo and say hello to so and so when you get there and all the other names that are hard to pronounce. And as He says that, He closes His letter, and this is the last letter Paul ever writes. He tells Timothy, hey, can you come? Quickly before winter, I want you to see you before I die. And that's how Paul closes Second Timothy. So I hope the book of Second Timothy has been, and I know it's probably never going to be exciting to you as it was to me, but this book has thrilled my soul as I've went through and studied it. And so I hope it's been a help to you. So let's pray. We'll be done. Dear Father, God, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you Lord, that we can study it. God, we don't have to just grab little things and... Um, little devotional style books that go through. But, Lord, we can actually just dive into your word and we can read it and understand it. And, God, we can apply it to our lives. God, help us, Lord, as we move forward from here. Lord, to look at the things that we have and say to me, Lord, I know they've been stretched over months upon months upon months. But, Lord, would you help us to have just applied them a step at a time or to make us more like you. Oh, we'll thank you for all that you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.